Transportation is a journey connecting us in our everyday lives. This podcast series, TRB's Transportation Explorers, takes you on that journey with meaningful conversations with the experts behind the research. They often have an early eye on how we'll build the transportation of tomorrow. On today's podcast, we'll talk with Stuart Mater. He writes about transit issues and has been published in Mass Transit Magazine, Mobility Lab, the New York Daily News, the Philadelphia Inquirer, the Wall Street Journal, and the USA Today Network, among others. Since the COVID-19 pandemic began, Mater has been focused on an effort he leads called Vax Transit, which aims to ensure that transit is at the forefront of COVID vaccination access. Well, welcome to our podcast, Stuart. It's such a, a pleasure to have you here. And uh, let's jump right in. This is a really fascinating initiative you've been working on. Something many people probably don't know is that more than 550 agencies in 48 states are providing free rides to vaccine. That's transit agencies, right? What is Vax Transit's role in that? That's right, Paul. There's uh, more than 500 agencies are providing free rides to vaccines, hosting uh, COVID-19 vaccination clinics at transit hubs, and using transit resources, primarily buses, to deploy mobile vaccination clinics to partner up with public health providers to bring vaccines to vulnerable communities. And it's really an incredible success story for the industry and in both meeting the immediate need of getting vaccines, connecting people to vaccines, and also reinforcing transit's value to communities of all sizes, from you know urban to rural to tribal, uh, really all across the, the country and all across communities of every size and, and service area. So take us into, into the world of Vax Transit. What does a, a day of work look like for you as part of this initiative? Sure. So I started this uh, right around the end of 2020, beginning of this year. And as we all saw those, those now, I think, iconic images of vaccines being deployed on planes and trucks, and I think that really felt like the first glimmer of hope that we could see the light at the end of the tunnel for the pandemic. We could see how we were going to get to the really new normal. And I started to talk with colleagues throughout the industry because I sensed that transit needed to play an important role, to have a seat at the table in planning the distribution of vaccines, uh, making sure that the population that uses transit could have equity and access to vaccines, and, and also to reinforce transit's role in supporting communities. I think that's something we've really seen anew in the past year. It's, folks really understand, I think, to a much greater degree than they did before, that even if I don't ride transit, people who are integral to my life ride transit, and therefore I benefit from it. And that viewpoint, I think, is really important because it means that people across the spectrum of mobility, from people who use transit every day to people who benefit from those who use transit every day, recognize the value of it. And I wanted to make sure that the industry is doing everything it can to reinforce that. And, and the very practical way to do that is to, is to connect people to vaccines. And the idea for free rides to vaccines comes directly from the federal government's clear message to everyone in the country that uh, the vaccine is free, that you're not going to be charged to get the vaccine. And so when you look at that, it, it naturally makes sense to say uh, if folks who drive a car can get there without paying a fee, so to speak, we've got to have the same thing for transit riders. Transit can't be a barrier. There can't be an impediment to getting to the vaccine. And that's where the idea of free rides comes from. Uh, and also hosting vaccine clinics at transit hubs. It's about making access to the vaccine as simple and convenient as possible. It seems like the transit agencies, they must not have much skepticism about giving these free rides if that many agencies have been interested in getting 
getting their customers to vaccinations, it seems like they must not be too concerned that this is something that would be helpful to their agencies, to their, the, to their product and their image. What have you heard along those lines about skepticism, not about the vaccine, of course, but skepticism about giving free rides and costing them money and, and things like that? Well, fortunately, a great number of the uh, leaders that I've talked to throughout the industry immediately recognized the value in doing this. When you look at what's happened over the past year with transit, giving people access to the vaccine, get, giving people a free ride is, and this has been a message I've shared with leaders throughout the industry, you've lost a lot of your riders because of the pandemic. One of the best ways to get riders back is to change the narrative, change the association from uh, that early message that really, I think, took hold in the public consciousness that transit might be a dangerous place. It might be a place where you could pick up the virus. We know from scientific research in multiple cities, including cities, particularly in East Asia, that returned to uh, pretty, pretty close to pre-pandemic ridership that they were not a vector for the virus to spread. So, you know, we, the science bears that out, but it's a combination of kind of connecting that with people's experience. And the best way to connect that to people's lived experience is to be able to say, hey, take a ride on transit to get the vaccine. It's available. We'll get you there. You don't have to pay a fare to get there. We just want you to get the vaccine. That both enables people to get to the vaccine that they need, and it puts in people's minds this positive narrative that transit's their vehicle to vaccination. And if they haven't been riding transit for a while, it's a wonderful reintroduction to transit. And for people who have ridden throughout the pandemic, it's, I think, a wonderful gesture of thanks to them for everything that they've done to be able to say, the ride you take to get your vaccine, you're not going to pay for that one. We want to make sure you get that vaccine, and we want to make sure and prioritize you in getting that, especially for, for frontline workers. So that's really been the message. And I think a lot of you know, agency leaders I've talked to from agency CEOs, boards, and so forth have really been receptive to that. And in the instances where I've encountered people who have the very understandable question of, well, how can I do this at a moment when my ridership is, I've never seen my ridership so low, my budget looks like it's never looked before. And how do I square that with the idea of giving free rides? Are people going to look at that as, you know, are they going to question it? Could people potentially see that as irresponsible? And my message has been, it's going to look like one of the most responsible things you can do because it's about getting people to the vaccine. You're, you're providing a conveyance, you're supporting the community, you're making sure that nobody's left behind in terms of getting their vaccine. And, you know, the other way to look at it is, you don't have riders right now, but you're running service. This is a wonderful way to get people back on who aren't riding if you're down to kind of, as some systems were down to, you know, 90, 95% of their riders gone. You certainly have the space to give people a ride, be able to maintain social distancing. But the message you're sending is that you want to get people to the vaccine. And what you're going to get out of that is positive coverage. Local media, this has been a great positive news story in local news all over the country. And it's wonderful to see those stories. It's the polar opposite of the story about, you know, the, the sort of crowded or late bus or train. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, it, it is putting transit in, in a good light. And you mentioned in some cases, transit is a hub for the vaccine as well as a means to get people to the vaccine. And I was reading an article the other day about how there's several stops at the MTA where you, you know, get your vaccine while you're waiting for the train. And I was just curious if you had any insight into, you know, if there's skepticism from the society's perspective, not so much the transit agency's perspective of, you know, are they more hesitant to get a vaccine at a transit stop as opposed to a hospital or a doctor's office or something of that nature? I haven't encountered specific uh, hesitancy or skepticism about getting a vaccine at a transit hub. 
And I think part of the, part of that is about conveying the right message, which is for the transit agencies that are doing this, the MTA is a great example. Um, all over the country, there are great examples. Um, Greater Dayton RTA, CODA in Columbus, Comet in South Carolina is another great example. And I think what all those agencies have done really well is they have made their messaging clear that we'll get you to the vaccine, we're hosting the clinic, and then our public health partner, whether it's county public health or a hospital system, they're the ones who are gonna administer the vaccine. And that's been critical to the messaging because it does two things. One, it lets people know that whether you get your vaccine at the bus station or at the doctor's office, the same person kind of professional is going to give you the vaccine. It's going to be administered by a nurse or a trained medical public health professional. And it also reinforces to people that your transit agency and your public health officials and your hospital systems, they're all working together. And I think those two messages are really reassuring. Let me, let me go a different direction a little bit. You in your writing, and you talk a lot about how getting a robust and well-performing transit network is really important for the very future of our country, of, of the United States. You've also written quite a bit about how, how leaders in the U.S. could maybe do a better job of communicating the importance of transit. So if you, had to, if you were stuck in the elevator for 30 seconds with Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg, and let's just throw President Joe Biden's in there too. What, what would you tell them that, they, that needs to be communicated to the American people about transit? The number one thing I would tell both of them is make transit a part of your regular travel in, in office. You know, everybody kind of thinks of, of the president as he has this wonderful nickname of Amtrak Joe, and it comes from his 36 years riding the train. And he's so eloquently spoken of the feeling of an extended family on Amtrak and the ability of Amtrak to keep him connected between work and home, you know, going home and being able to see his daughter blow out the candles on her birthday party and then, you know, jump back on the train and go back and take care of a vote in the Senate. And I think that's a lived experience that anybody in just about any line of work can resonate with, that, you know, anybody might be in that situation. And I think that's something that we need to see our elected officials use transit regularly. We certainly, we're increasingly seeing that with elected officials in other countries. We're increasingly seeing it with elected officials at the local level. In fact, I uh, was reading recently about uh, candidates who are running for the city council in New York in parts of the Bronx that are not some of the best connected areas by transit. There's some transit deserts there and they're making transit a top issue in their campaigns. I love to hear when a candidate is making transit a top issue because it should be, it is. It's not a niche issue. It is an essential tentpole. And that's great at the local level. And I wanna see more of that at the national level. I'd love to see the president take the train to, for instance, come up to New York from Washington for the UN General Assembly. I think that'd be a wonderful message to send to take the train up the Northeast Corridor, zip over from Penn Station to the UN and, and then zip back to Washington because what people would see is the president's using the train on a business trip. To me, it's I want people to not see transit as a thing that's only in a few big cities and not really elsewhere, but a thing that people can use for their everyday work. And the pulpit of the presidency and the pulpit of cabinet secretaries is just a wonderful platform to reinforce that message. Yes, President Biden certainly set a long-term example with Amtrak. I, I've never seen research or a research study showing what is the effect or, or the uptick or the downtick on ridership, what the trends are after they've done that. You know, you're talking about communicating as doing, as showing. That's exactly right. It's communicating as doing. Uh, and look at the, and I think you're right. It'd be wonderful to see a study of that where we could see the numbers and see what the impact is, because we certainly see it anecdotally. There was 
at least on social media and looking at some of the local news and the, and the transit industry trades, there was a flurry of activity after Secretary Pete was seen on Capital Bike Share. I think the notion of a transportation secretary riding a bike, who knew that would resonate so much? And I think the fact that it resonated so much tells the story right there. People want to see that. And it's a great message. Partly, I think it's, it resonated with people because it's new and novel to see that. But partly, I think that new and novel is also a recognition that it's something that's long overdue and it's finally happening. And I think that's people see that and receive it positively. And, you know, a few weeks ago, uh, Secretary Pete was in North Carolina and he was riding on a, an Amtrak uh, North Carolina train being interviewed by, I think it was Peter Alexander from NBC. That was a wonderful visual. You look at the NBC Nightly News, there's the transportation secretary and a reporter sitting on adjoining seats across the aisle on a train conducting an interview. Perfect. That's how you embed transit into the conversation and show people, look what you can do on the train. You certainly couldn't do that while you're driving a car. In addition to all these op-eds you've written, you also developed an updated map of the New York and New Jersey subway system. So one of the things I was wondering is why did you decide to, to do that? What was your goal with that project? And do you think we should look at existing subway systems and maybe create maps for them as well? Great question. So I created that map uh, back in 2015, and I created that map because one of the things about the New York area, because it spans two states, the urban area spreads into New Jersey. It's sort of a larger, I think, opportunity in transit to move away from agencies having their own map of their own service and to think about service truly from the customer perspective we really need wayfinding tools and maps and fare payment systems, all of what I call the soft tissue, the connective tissue of transit, it needs to span agency boundaries. And I created that map as a tool to illustrate that concept, to show people that if you look at the New York City subway map, it's a wonderful map. It's an icon. Billions of people know that map, but it does look a little bit like Manhattan is, there's sort of an ocean to the west of Manhattan, and there's certainly not an ocean to the west of Manhattan. There's millions of people that live in, in New Jersey and the rest of continental U.S. And what I wanted to illustrate is there are pieces of the transit network that span the river, that span the Hudson River, connect into New Jersey. I think when, when we look at transit maps, people should be able to see everywhere that transit can take them, not just everywhere that a particular agency services can take them. And there's a practical benefit to that too, which is the more that agencies collaborate on those things and build shared resources like that, that's a better use of resources, both you know, the creative human resources of, of graphic designers, of people who think about planning and wayfinding, and also budgets. You know, If we create multiple maps for every agency creates their own map versus they all collaborate and create a shared map, that shared map is a better tool for customers and it's a better use of agency resources. Yeah, I was just thinking here in the D.C. area, of course, we have the metro system, but then you've got the municipal systems like there's the right on bus in Montgomery County where I live. And I wonder if you're not from the area, do you know that there is a ride on? Do you know it connects you to a metro stop? So I think a project like that would be very useful. I think you're right. And in fact, a really critical piece of that connective tissue, you've got to be able to look at the map and know where you're going. And you've got to be able to simply and easily pay your fare and not have to manage a different payment system, a different app and of a different language for every system. So Stuart, skipping to the more personal and, and your, your personal motivation, you've, you've written a book, you've created this map and, and written extensively and, and done all kinds of things in the transit space. What, where did this interest in transit uh, originate? You know, I still vividly remember the very first time I ever took a subway train. I was, in, I was eight years old and I was in London and I rode the underground for the first time. And I remember thinking of it as a magic moving floor. 
you get on this and you stand there and it moves and it takes you to wherever you need to go. And I think that really sparked for me a fascination with the capability of transit to support communities, because that's really what what transit does. Uh, It gives people the ability to get where they need to go in all forms. You know, sometimes we, you know, there's, there can be in the language of transit, a focus on jobs and commuting, but really the best transit is the kind of transit that supports everything in your life, kind of all, all purpose mobility. And there's so much opportunity for us to invest in transit, to make it easier for people to use, to make it more attractive, more convenient. And I love being part of that. I love working on that because I think that the more we do that, it benefits everybody. You know, when I think about people who need to be on the road, need to drive. So for instance, a contractor, an electrician, a delivery person, we can make the experience for them of using the roads better because if we're reducing wear and tear on roads and we're reducing congestion on roads, that makes the logistics of that better for those people. And for folks who benefit from being able to unwind after a long day by sitting on the bus or train and relaxing versus being stuck in traffic, it's all about quality of life. And all across the spectrum, there's an opportunity to improve quality of life and improve communities. And that's a great thing to be part of. I guess the personal is pretty related because I think most kids who've had an experience of riding on transit, you know, they grow up and they have they have similar remembrances as you or they, you know, remember trying to surf on the train without holding on while it's going fast. Not that not kids out there, you shouldn't necessarily do that. I'm not suggesting that, but these are warm memories. And, uh, you know, for leaders at transit agencies and, and transit advocates like yourself, remembering those warm memories is probably really important as you, as you go about your daily work, remembering what it is you're, you're fighting the good fight for, right? Yes, it is. Those warm, you're exactly right. And it's those warm memories that matter so much because, you know, when I see a group of teens hop on the subway or get on a bus and they're not really thinking about transit, they're hanging out with each other and they're going to do something they want to do. They're having fun. They are creating their, their new set of warm memories that are going to be part of their lives. And I think will hopefully fuel their interest in, in making this work for the next generation after them. And uh, just to put in a couple quick plugs for some recent TRB reports about uh, coronavirus and transportation. We have funding transportation beyond the COVID-19 pandemic. Transportation recovery from COVID-19 changes takes research and planning and a pandemic playbook for transportation agencies. All of these are available on TRB's websites. And then of course, we also have Stuart's website, stuartmater.com slash transits, where you can get those as well, I believe. That's correct. So stuartmater.com slash transit has the list of transit agencies around the country, state by state list, more than 550 in 48 states. And uh, there's a couple of dozen in Canada as well. And those are listed too. And that's, I'm really glad to see our neighbors up north are, um, are involved as well in supporting their communities. Well, to take us out, Stuart Mater, well, for one, is there anything you'd like to add? But I guess more specifically, what research in transit do you think is really missing out out there or that we need more research about or the TRB or others could take up the mantle of, of doing more research on? Sure. Two great questions. Uh, one thing I'll add is just going back to Vax Transit for a second. And, you know, we talked earlier about the importance of in the immediate of connecting people to the vaccine and that very practical application. But the other application, the other piece of it that's so important, and it's one of the other big reasons why I've took on this advocacy push and really wanted to galvanize the industry to do this, is it's a great, compelling story to tell 
uh, about how the, the COVID-19 emergency funding that came from the federal government is the first time we've seen the federal government fund transit operations since 1981. And so, you know, my message to the leaders throughout the industry is use this money well, do something that's going to really help communities now, and then you have a wonderfully compelling story. We as an industry have a wonderfully compelling story to tell to legislative staffs in Congress, to members of Congress, to the folks who are going to be taking up the surface transportation reauthorization in the fall. And I want to be able to have the story be the industry rose to the occasion and use these resources really in a tangible way, in a way that really mattered to support their communities when it counted. And so it's a good investment to, to continue to do that. So that's a really important one. And then in terms of the research, my mind these days is so focused on how the industry is going to change for the better as a result of COVID. And to me, the major thing that we learned from this is this is so many transit agencies, public agencies were formed in the sort of late 1960s and into the 1970s at the point where they were rescuing private bus and train lines that were falling on financial hard times. And so this to me is the biggest inflection point since that era. And what we do as a result of COVID, I think, is going to set the stage for the next 50 years for this industry. We have an opportunity to change things about transit for the better, whether that is providing more all-day service, thinking about improving frequencies, moving away from the question of, is it a dichotomy between frequency and coverage? And looking at, well, what there's increasingly agencies are experimenting with on-demand transit. So can on-demand help you cover areas, improve coverage, and not necessarily pull away buses and fixed vehicle, vehicles on fixed routes where you've got great frequency and great use? There's just, we're entering an, a moment where I think there's so much opportunity to try new things. And there's an appetite and also a necessity to try new things. Because if we go to a world, and I, and I sense this is where we are, where people are not going to commute five days a week at the same level they did before, there's going to be more hybrid, kind of more balance between some work from home, some work in the office. That frees up transit agencies to not have to focus resources so much on the nine to five peaks and so much on the notion of commuting that there's really an opportunity. And so I think the research angle on that is to help agencies see what those opportunities are by seeing what their peers are doing and, and what they're trying and what agencies can learn from that. And then also to really look at how that impacts people's lives. And I'm thinking about the person who works in, for instance, an Amazon warehouse and maybe had an hourly bus service before. And if they miss that bus, they're stuck at you know four in the morning waiting for another bus till 5 a.m. Well, if we can increase bus frequency, if we have more on-demand transit that can kind of swell and be elastic and help in those areas, what does that do for people's quality of life? I think really focusing on those things is critical because that research give, equips agencies to make the case to make changes. And it also demonstrates the success when, when, when agencies go out on a limb and say, look, we're going to try something new. The best thing to do is to be able to, to profile what they've done and show what they've learned from it. Stuart Mader, your creativity and your obvious passion for all things transit uh, and your work at Vax Transit has been uh, has been really inspiring today. We're so happy that uh, you're taking part in a TRB panel that is is starting up, and we wish you the best of luck. And thank you so much for for being with us. Paul and Elaine, I just want to thank you both for having me on. I'm a, I love the TRB uh, podcast. I listen and. Um, I'm so pleased now to record an episode and, and share some thoughts on the work I'm doing. So thank you. And thank you so much for all the work you do at TRB. TRB's Transportation Explorers is a production of the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine. Ben Brown composed our theme music. The podcast is produced by Paul Mackey and me, Elaine Farrell, and edited by me. Thanks again for tuning into TRB's Transportation Explorers. We hope you enjoyed our podcast. See you next time on the transportation journey.